Joseph, and I'm going to keep you, no, just kidding, I'm just kidding. Some of you are just going to get up and walk out if I didn't finish up on Joseph in the next few weeks, so I'm just teasing a few here, yeah, so um, Genesis chapter 45, and I, I do have to do something before we start. I couldn't handle it. At least I got one tree on. Okay. I, don't, I can't find the plug for the other tree. I like Christmas lights, and if they're up, it feels like that'll be up. It's okay. All right. Um, Genesis chapter 45. Uh, the culmination, and we're probably going to spend two or three weeks in the last few chapters of Genesis. Um, from this moment forward, it's all about restoration. And it's an interesting thing to consider the story of Joseph in the Old Testament Joseph. We talked about New Testament Joseph a couple of weeks ago. But throughout the last several chapters of the book of Genesis, we see so much centered on this man who lived such a strange life. You know, we, we, I haven't done that. I haven't been sold by my brothers, although my brother probably felt like it, you know. I haven't been sold into slavery and forced to become a servant of a foreign master. I haven't been thrown into jail because I was uh, falsely accused and then forgotten in jail. And then I have not been raised up into a position of leadership in probably the most powerful nation in the world, at least in that known world in that time. So uh, all of these things to Joseph... um, in my life, as the big events go, I can look at it and go, I don't really relate too well to that guy. But in his personal relationships, and then the, the friendships and the conflicts and all those kinds of things, I can entirely relate with Joseph. Can you understand where I'm coming from there? Because... Whether or not my circumstances, my situation, my trials, my persecution, my suffering, my joys, my triumphs, whatever it may be, we all have those in our lives. We all have those moments where it's obvious God is at work. And I think for Joseph, one of the things that we can draw from is that in all of these great massive events where it seems like God is absent... When we come to these kinds of moments today, we realize he was there all along. It may not have been easy. It may not have been simple. It probably was not the way I would have done it, but God was there. And so many of us, every day in our lives, are going through trials and persecutions and struggles. And we realize, you know what? I feel like I am alone in this. And then we talk to somebody else and realize, wait a second, I'm just like that guy. May not be exactly the same situation, but I'm going through the same thoughts and the same trials. And, and coming back to places like this in the scripture, why does this account matter? Why does this story of this ancient patriarch make a difference? It's because the world still has the same problem. It did then. We need a savior. I was looking at this Bible this morning. Um, I've had about five years, and it's, it's, uh, it's something that I like to do each week that I, I write down um, 
when I've preached something. And so, you know, the last time I preached this was November 20th of last year. And so I wrote that down here and I wrote it down here. And then I, I was closing it. And while we were singing earlier, singing all those wonderful songs we sang today, um, I noticed that the edges, and it's not gold edges, but the edges of these passages where I've stuck around a long time are dirty. There's the Gospel of Mark. Anybody remember that journey? There's the book of 2 Corinthians, which we went through during a little time of history called COVID. Um, There is all kinds of letters from Paul. Somewhere in the Psalms, I've been many times because the Psalms are really messed up on the edges here. Um, And I don't do that to be prideful at all because all it is is God's grace at work. All it's shown is that he is given me the privilege of teaching his word. All it does is show that he hasn't kicked me out either. (laughs) And it shows that as much as things change, our God never does. And this word is eternal. It is faithful. We will be confused sometimes when we read it. And sometimes we'll read a passage, a story like we have here, and we'll learn a whole lot of things couple years later, we come back to it, and God has reminded us of those things, but he has something new to show us along the way. And I know for many of you that you went through Joseph in your Sunday school class in the last couple of years. And some of you were excited that we were doing it in the message, and others, when you go, again? Don't they do anything new? The answer is no. No, we don't we got to keep being reminded of God's truth. With that, let's look at Genesis chapter 45 and tie up some cliffhangers that we've been sitting on. Invite, invite you to stand as we read the first 15 verses of Genesis chapter 45. Then Joseph could not control himself before all those who stood by him. He cried, make everyone go out from me. So no one stayed with him when Joseph made himself known to his brothers. And he wept aloud, so the Egyptians heard it, and the household of Pharaoh heard it. And Joseph said to his brothers, I am Joseph, is my father still alive? But his brothers could not answer him, for they were dismayed at his presence. That's where I stopped last time. We're going to keep going now. So Joseph said to his brothers, come near to me, please. And they came near. And he said, I am your brother Joseph, whom you sold into Egypt. Now do not be distressed or angry with yourselves because you sold me here. For God sent me before you to preserve life. For the famine has been in the land these two years, and there are yet five years in which there will be neither plowing nor harvest. And God sent me before you to preserve for you a remnant on earth to keep alive for you many survivors. So it was not you who sent me here, but God. And he has made me a father to Pharaoh and the Lord of all his house and the ruler of all the land of of Egypt. Hurry and go up to my father and say to him, Thus says your son Joseph, God has made me Lord over all Egypt. Come down to me. Do not tarry. You shall dwell in the land of Goshen and you shall be near me, you and your children and your children's children and your flocks, your herds and all that you have. There there I will provide for you for there are yet five years of famine to come so that you and your household and all that you have do not come to poverty. Now your eyes see and now the eyes of my brother Benjamin see that it is my mouth that speaks to you. 
You must tell my father of all my honor in Egypt and of all that you have seen. Hurry and bring my father down here. Then he fell upon his brother Benjamin's neck and wept. And Benjamin wept upon his neck. And he kissed all his brothers and wept upon them. After that, his brothers talked with him. Lord, thank you for your restoration. Thank you for how you do it. And may we make that a part of our lives today. In Jesus' name, amen. So for those of you who might not have been here the last three or four months, we got here because Joseph was an obnoxious teenager. who had 11 brothers and one sister. Ten of those brothers were older than him. And he was the firstborn, which was always the rank, right? Firstborns of the, uh, of the family. He was the firstborn of his father's favorite wife. He only had four. Did your dad have four wives at once? At once. Some of you might raise your hands and say, yeah, dad was a kind of a character, but not all at the same time, hopefully. The laws of the land still don't allow that, by the way. All right? So Joseph gets to stay home when his brothers, the older brothers, go to work. And, his, and when I say go to work, it means they go and wander in the fields of Canaan, which is... a kind of a dry and desolate place, but they were taking the sheep to different areas where they might find grass to graze and to raise because they raised the sheep because they were shepherds. And so Jacob, Papa of all of these 12 sons, uh, keeps Je- Joseph and probably Benjamin home. He's younger as well. We don't hear about Benjamin much at that moment. I would guess he's still home with him. But he sends Joseph to go check on the older brothers in uniform. What was his uniform? A, a particular coat. And if we would hear it in the Sunday school lessons as the coat of many colors. That coat probably brought derision from his brothers in the first place. And then when they saw it coming from miles away, they said, goody, goody. We're going to get rid of this guy. So some of them wanted to kill him. A couple of others decided, let's not kill him. Let's just sell him. <laughs> You think that's just as bad? I don't know. Because if they had killed him, then they wouldn't be at this point. So they sell him to some traders, distant cousins heading off into Egypt. Why not sell him to the cousins from a faraway place? I mean, you know, they're related. What would they do wrong to him? Well, they sell him again. They sell him as a slave. He is falsely accused by his boss's wife of doing things he should not have done. She was the one who was trying to do those things, and he runs away naked. Nothing good happens out in public if you don't have your clothes on, just so you know. All right? So Joseph gets arrested. He gets thrown in prison, and yet he's still having these dreams. I didn't talk about the dreams earlier, but he, he dreamed that his brothers and eventually his parents would worship him, would bow to him. And that didn't go over very well. That's one of the reasons his brother didn't like him very much. All right? So... Uh, he ends up in prison, and some, some uh, guys who had displeased Pharaoh had ended there as well. They had gotten arrested, 
and they had a couple of dreams, and Joseph predicted their dreams. Those dreams came to pass, but the guy who survived forgot to tell Pharaoh. Oh, yeah, this is how I know. Until Pharaoh had his own dreams. And he said, wait, I know a guy. I forgot about him, but he's still in jail. Pharaoh says, I can deal with that. Go get him. So he interprets the dream that there would be seven years of plenty and then seven years of famine. Eventually, it leads to Joseph being made basically, uh, if not the prime minister of Egypt, definitely the secretary of agriculture, right? He's the head of the land. He saves up all the grain in the storehouses to a point that they don't even count it anymore. They had storehouses in all the cities, and they had more grain than they could count. And so when that famine came seven years later, it had been 20 since Joseph was sold as a slave. When it came, at least 20, when it came, they didn't, uh, I'm sorry, they were prepared. Maybe they were repaired too. I don't know. Got to get all my consonants in the right place. They were prepared. But the rest of the lands weren't because they didn't know it was coming. So then Joseph's brothers show back up. But they don't know Joseph is even alive. And guess who they come to see? The secretary of agriculture in the land of Egypt, who just happens to have son of Jacob as his last name. They just don't know it. Right? So he leads them on for a while. And he sends them back, and he keeps one of them, and he sends them back and forth and back and forth. And finally, we get to this place where he shows them, okay, guys, I can't string you along any longer. (laughs) I am that brother. It's only been 20 years, guys. Think of what you were doing 20 years ago, right now. Some of you were still in school. Some of you were still working and had not yet retired. Some of you lived in a different state. That was me. Some of you had not yet become parents. I mean, life changes in 20 years, right? These guys look a little bit older, probably smell the same. I mean, they're all shepherds, right? Probably still don't smell very good. But they show up. Joseph recognizes them, strings them along for a while, and he then decides, I can't do this any longer, and that's what we just read about. That reunion. Justifiably, his brothers are terrified. Right? Because this obnoxious kid that we sold is now the guy who holds our lives in his hands. And he's played a few games with us already, sending us back and forth and back and forth. And now, what do we do? So he reveals his identity to his family. They have a hard time believing it. As you probably would too. Especially is if, you know, Joseph has had good health care, he's got nice clothing, he's got a good haircut, he might be wearing a cool hat, you know, he may not look at all like anybody, and all these guys are ragged and got long beards, and they are wearing tattered clothing, that, and they're hungry. You know, he's, he's living the dream, and they, he doesn't look like one of them. But he reveals his identity to them. They eventually believe him. Over and over, he says, I will do these things to you. I now want to bring Dad here with you guys. Now, if you have been wronged, 
And Joseph was definitely wrong. It takes a while to get a healthy perspective. If somebody has done something wrong to you, sinned against you, there can be some resentment held up in your heart, right? I mean, he got sold as a slave. He thought he was doing a good job, and then he gets thrown in prison. And it's all because his brothers did this. There's more family dynamics than that, but that's easily what Joseph's mindset could have been, right? What does he say to them in the middle of it, of this paragraph? Verse 7. This is after the description of the famine. There's going to be five more years. Verse 7, he says, And God sent me before you to preserve for you a remnant on earth and to keep alive for you many survivors. So it was not you who sent me here, but God. And all of the things that these brothers did to him, he came to the true realization that it wasn't their doing at all. That God had sent him forward to prepare for this moment, to preserve his people. So sometimes when you're going through the very hardest of moments, and you don't think that there's anything that can be good that would come from this, realize you don't have the perspective of eternity. It's not your plan you are living out. It is God's eternal purpose. And so when we come to this place here, we see that Joseph has come to that place. He could easily be be bitter, and he probably has been along the way some. I mean, there's been 20 years. He's had some time to stew a little bit, right? But his, his perspective has brought him to this place where he saw them come. He sends them back home, and they come again with Benjamin now, his full brother. And he says, you didn't do this. God did. So think about the hardest experience. And some of you in this room right now are going through some really awful things in your life. Think about the most difficult experiences you've had in your life. And now think about what God could do through those. That's where we find ourselves today. And that's this moment here. Thus says your son Joseph. I'm sorry, I'm I'm, not... took off on something. I was going to say, think something else. I've titled this whole message series underscored a mosaic of grace. And what is a mosaic? Well, it's kind of like those Christmas trees up here, right? All the little parts make a beautiful picture. You might think that this one color, this one tile doesn't do much, but then it goes next to another one and then another one, and then another one, and then what happens when you back up? It's something beautiful. That's what's happening here. Is that Joseph, through all of these different colored experiences, is seeing the picture come into full place. And he can either be embittered at his family or realize that God in his grace has prepared them for such a time as this the entire account of Joseph's life and his work is all about forgiveness. Because Joseph, we've talked about the types of Christ's along the way, and we even looked at it with Judah 
and, and uh, compared to Joseph along the way because Jesus comes from the tribe of Judah. Joseph is a type of Christ in this and that he endures great suffering in order to bring deliverance. And you see, and even in Jesus' final moments, what was, some of his, what was one of his prayers? If possible, what? Let this cup pass. Even Jesus in flesh didn't want to endure what he knew was coming. Yet he was willing to go through it because he knew what had to happen. And that was that there had to be a just sacrifice, a perfect sacrifice for our sins. Joseph, going through these times and these experiences, could have easily been embittered. But he chose something. He chose to forgive. And see, here's the thing about forgiveness. Is that it, at least in my experience, does more for the one who forgives often than it does for the forgiven. Joseph had already been in prison, literally, right? He could have stayed there in the prison that is unforgiveness. Because when you go through things in your life and you realize that people aren't nice and they do mean things to you and that there are evil things that happen in the world, we easily get hardened and hurt and bitter. I use that word a lot today, but that's, I think, something we have to realize here. This could be Joseph. Yet he chooses to forgive. And in his forgiveness, he offers a way out, a way of escape, a way of rescue for his family. Yeah, he, he shows us humanity along the way by pushing and pulling on them a little bit. But he realizes the time is now. Because we still got five years where we could starve. And I want to see my dad. Is he still alive? You notice how he keeps asking that question? I think he's got some trust issues with his brothers. <laughs> right? Is he still alive? Yes, he's still alive. Is he still alive? Please, tell me. How many times did he ask that? Is your father still alive? And they keep saying yes, yet he keeps asking. And I think that shows a little bit of Joseph's distrust of these characters who sold him off into slavery. But he finds out, yes, indeed, he's still alive. In verse 14, he fell upon a brother's Benjamin's, brother Benjamin's neck and wept. And Benjamin wept upon his neck and he kissed all his brothers and wept upon them. And after that, his brothers talked with him. They'd already had the party, right? Remember that party they had the last time they were there? And then Joseph trapped them and kept one of them. And anyway... All that's going to end. Verse 16, when the the report was heard in Pharaoh's house, Joseph's brothers have come. It pleased Pharaoh and his servants. And Pharaoh said to Joseph, say to your brothers, do this, load your beasts and go back to the land of Canaan and take your father and your households and come to me and I will give you the best of the land of Egypt and you shall eat the fat of the land. And you, Joseph, are commanded to say, do this. Take wagons from the land of Egypt for your little ones and for your wives and bring your father and come. Have no concern for your goods for the best of all the land of Egypt is yours. It came from Pharaoh, verse 17. The provision came from the one who had it all. 
God has the cattle on a thousand hills, as it says, right? How are we going to make this happen? The question is, do you trust the Lord? Pharaoh was in the hand of God and did this to, to protect them. So, here we go. No concerns whatsoever for their return. The sons of Israel did so. Verse 21, Joseph gave them wagons according to the command of Pharaoh and gave them provisions for the journey. To each and all of them he gave a change of clothes, but to Benjamin he gave 300 shekels of silver and five changes of clothes. Must be nice to be the brother of the guy with the stuff, right? He got the Game Boy. No, Game Boys are old. Never mind. All right, so to to his father he sent as follows. Ten donkeys loaded with goods and things of Egypt, and ten female donkeys loaded with grain, bread, and provision for his father for the journey. I don't know why they divided it that way. Somebody's going to ask me, why did the girls have to carry the food? I don't know. Okay? Go ask somebody else. All right. Um, Then he sent his brothers away, and they departed. He said to them, do not quarrel along the way. Now, that's what I've entitled this passage, this message today. Because I think about all this stuff, and he knows his brothers. Even now, 20 years later, what are they going to do? What did he see in the room with them in the party? Stop bickering with each other. You have been forgiven and you have been given deliverance. Stop treating each other like that. You know, I think God tells us that same thing. Because of our, the grace that has been showered upon us, he's called us to love each other. He says to love the brotherhood. That is the church. To forgive when people wrong you. And it's going to happen. It happens here. And Jesus comes back to this in, later in his own teachings. Go to Matthew chapter 18. Matthew 18, if you've uh, done any study on the New Testament, you know that's where Jesus talks about conflict revolution, resolution, church discipline, things like that. But he tells a parable. In verse 21, and I'm just going to hit the first couple of verses and then the last verse. Then Peter came up to him and said, Lord, how often will my brother sin against me and I forgive him? As many as seven times? That seems like a lot, right? I can check that off the box. And Jesus said to him, I do not say to you seven times, but 77 times. And in other translations, you might see seven times 70. It just gets bigger. Now, I... Don't keep records well. If you know me, you know that's true. You want to count up 490 times you've forgiven somebody? No, you're going to lose counts. Let's go to the end of this. It says here, so verse 35, he tells this parable about a servant who had a great debt that his master forgave. And then that servant, again, had someone who was indebted to him, who the servant didn't forgive. And when the master heard about it, guess what happened with the servant? Not good things. It's, uh, verse 34, which I didn't put up there, but it says, And in anger his master delivered him to the jailers until he should pay all his debts. So verse 35 concludes that parable, and he says, So also my heavenly Father will do to every one of you if you do not forgive your brother from your heart. Guys, forgiveness is not a checklist. It's a heart issue. It's realizing that you have been forgiven so great a debt, how could you hold somebody to what they owe you? 
whatever offense, whatever money amounts. It doesn't mean somebody shouldn't pay back what they borrowed. That's not what I'm saying. It's a heart issue. You shouldn't hold against somebody something that's been done, especially if they've asked for forgiveness, right? Because the one who doesn't forgive is actually the one who is still in prison. Romans chapter 12, and then I'll come back and tie it up in a bow here in Genesis. Romans chapter 12, verse 17. Repay no one evil for evil, but give thought to do what is honorable in the sight of all. If possible, so far as it depends on you, live peaceably with all. Beloved, never avenge yourselves, but leave it to the wrath of God, for it is written, Vengeance is mine, I will repay, says the Lord. To the contrary, if your enemy is hungry, feed him. If he is thirsty, give him something to drink. For by so doing, you will heap burning coals on his head. Do not be overcome by evil, but overcome evil with good. Now, I've used verse 20 there to my advantage negatively. When I did something nice for someone in spite. You ever been there? Well, I'm just going to show you how nice I am. Anybody ever done that? I mean, I'm not the only one I hope. You're going to feel so bad about what you did for me, did to me. And then I read verse 21. Because it goes back to Matthew 18. Do not be overcome by evil. So, forgiveness must come from the core of who we are, realizing what kind of debt has been paid for us. We've all had bad stuff done to us. We live on earth. We have all said things we shouldn't to somebody else. Again, we're human. Christ calls us to be different. Now, to admit it when we make a mistake, and to do this little word called repent to turn away, quit doing that, and live like God wants us to. Do not be overcome by evil, but overcome evil with good. And I'm thankful for this testimony now as I go all the way back to the beginning of Gen- or the end of Genesis here, the beginning of the Bible, that we have accounts like this where we see the grace of God. Verse 25, So they went up out of Egypt and came to the land of Canaan to their father Jacob. And they told him, Joseph is still alive. He is ruler over all the land of Egypt. There's a lot in that sentence. Joseph is the land, ruler of Egypt. We get that stuck in our head. What did they tell, that, tell daddy about Joseph 20 years ago? That he was dead. So they lied then. But then dad goes, so... What really happened? They've been sitting on this for 20 years. And they finally tell everything that had happened. I don't think Jacob's too hard, happy about it because of what we read next. It says, And his heart became numb, for he did not believe them. Can you blame him? But when they told him all the words of Joseph, which he had said to them, and he saw the wagons that Joseph had sent to carry him, the spirit of their father Jacob revived. He said, maybe I don't believe you, but there's something going on. <laughs> right? 
He says, all right, I'm tired of this game. Verse 28. And Israel said, that's Jacob, it is enough. Joseph, my son, is still alive. I will go and see him before I die. What was Jacob's focus entirely on until the moment that he knew his son was alive? He wanted to die. It went beyond prison. It went beyond all of that. He was so depressed in the whole circumstances of everything and in the confusion of seeing one son left in Egypt and then having to send Benjamin back and all of these different things that happened, right? He says, I believe you. And thankfully, what we see next is restoration. Joseph could have held it forever. Because I don't know about you, the things that his brothers did to him, I'd have a hard time to forgive. You with me on that? But he chose God. And ultimately, God chooses you. And the reason Jesus came is because we had been doing all that to God. And God said, I can take care of this. You can be forgiven and released from that prison where you have tied yourself up. That, to me, is where Joseph shows up in the 21st century in a new year with new experiences. God gives us a new chance because he loves us. And he is offering you and me forgiveness and grace to step into the next step with his power and his authority. And he wants to give you that gift of salvation that he offers to us through Jesus' death, burial, and resurrection. He died to kill sin. He rose because sin was dead. The wages of sin is death. Jesus became sin, took that penalty so that we find life in him. God is good. His grace is amazing, and it creates a mosaic that we can never imagine on our own. But his beauty overwhelms. Let's pray. God, you are faithful to us. And I thank you that in Joseph's life, we were reminded of your faithfulness. I thank you for the grace you give us and the power of the cross. I thank you for the love and mercy you've given us because of Jesus' resurrection. And may, as we, as we follow you into this new year, may we be reminded of how great your love is and how you want to do that in us and through us. Change us today in Jesus' name. Stand together. Altars open. Give this year to God. Give your heart to him. Trust him in whatever you're going through today.